Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. Hello and a very warm welcome to Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence's Compliance Clarified podcast. My name is Susanna Hammond and I'm Senior Regulatory Intelligence Expert here at TRRI. Now, in this ninth episode of Series 5, we're going to be taking a look at our cost of compliance report for 2022. As a bit of background, this was the 13th annual cost of compliance report. And as with all of the previous ones, it focuses on the challenges expected to be faced by risk and compliance functions at financial services firms around the world. This year's survey had about 500 responses. And that's from a whole range of practitioners, banks, insurers, asset and wealth managers, regulators, broker dealers, payment services providers. You get the idea. The other thing to mention um, with the survey was that it closed before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So the challenges and the shifting priorities highlighted can only be and will only be exacerbated by the myriad sanctions imposed on Russia and the consequent impact on financial services firms. Now, the pandemic, among all the other challenges, still remains problematic for many financial services firms with lockdowns and other restrictions still intermittently in place. But the pandemic has driven a number of what we're beginning to see as permanent changes in the adoption of technology, digital transformation, hybrid working, all of which are leading firms to reassess their approach to compliance. And to consider the continuing compliance challenges associated with regulatory change, with cost of compliance, with this new approach, I am delighted to say I'm joined by my co-author, Mike Cohen. Hi, Susanna. Mike, as ever, lovely to have you on here. So let's kick straight off. For you, key highlight from this year's report? Well, I think that when we were drafting the report, it it struck me that, that there was a sort of a conflict among responses um, a frustration, perhaps. Um, responses indicated that there was a trade-off between the increasing value that compliance officers were expected to bring to firms against the increased challenges compliance officers were seeing. And uh, as we analysed this in, in greater detail, at its heart, responses seemed to be telling us that the overall compliance that overall compliance officers were expected to do more with less going forward. Now, an example of this quantity sort of versus quality debate is that 74% of respondents expected an increase in regulatory activity across a growing range of subjects, um, including things like culture, cyber resilience, ESG, fintech, uh, the list goes on. Yet over the 12 months, or over the next 12 months, only 35% of respondents expected their compliance teams to grow. The majority of respondents expected compliance teams to remain the same. And I suppose uh, aligned to this growing range of subject areas, respondents indicated a desire for different skills, for a different skills mix, for increased skilled resource. In fact, skilled resource was highlighted as the key skill required by compliance officers going forward. Um, other specialisms highlighted uh, were things like digital techn- technology understanding, risk management, project management, uh, and, and business understanding. And these were alongside some of the softer skills, such as communication and relationship management skills, which you know all compliance officers need to have. 
But as we all know, with increased specialism comes increased cost. And 66% of respondents expected the cost of senior compliance staff to increase in the next 12 months as the demand for the skilled resource increases. Respondents did predict that budgets would increase in the next 12 months with 50% expecting a slight increase. However, as you've said, Susanna, you know, the survey was taken before the current cost of, co of living crisis and the current um, crisis in the Ukraine. So current thinking, you know, a few months later may be somewhat different. In fact, it's interesting um, it, it, that since 2012, when cost of compliance surveys began, the trend of respondents expecting even a slight increase in budget has gradually declined, whereas those predicting budgets remaining the same year on year has slightly increased. Although generally trends on budgets are, are, are generally flat over that period. So to answer your question, Susanna, my uh, initial thoughts are that um, increasing requirements of compliance officers requires increased skills, an increased skills bandwidth. But this incurs increased cost, but budget and size of team expectations were modest. So turning the question back, I guess, what were your overarching thoughts on the survey results? Well, I think several things there. One, one very small correction. I never need to correct Mike, but um, actually cost of compliance started in 2009, not 2012. Um, and I've been co-author on every single one of them, which is a bit surreal on some levels. But there we go. Um, from my perspective, I think there was several things. One, I think the results showcase, again, what firms too need to appreciate that compliance is a truly core competency for them. You don't get away with being bad at compliance and thriving into the medium term in terms of financial services. It just does not work. And that greater need for compliance, I mean, regulatory change, we had an episode on regulatory change, in fact, last week's episode on regulatory change, showcased the sheer breadth of it and the number of sources of that regulatory change is not getting any smaller along with the regulatory change itself. Mike's mentioned more compliance involvement needed in everything from cyber to implementation of a demonstrably compliant culture. Firms are talking about the need for post-pandemic review and planning, assessing effectiveness of corporate governance arrangements, assessing fintech and regtech solutions all of which take time. Let's be completely clear. They take time, effort, skill. And, you know, if those that think that all compliance do is monitor and write the old report to the board, no, they have their bandwidth, their sheer scope and scale of what they do is much bigger than that. I mean, they've been described as polymaths and that, that's probably not a bad call. Um, one of the key issues is, again, still culture and conduct risk. Now, on one level, surely this ought to be something that all firms do and do very well. It's been a regulatory priority for easily a decade now. But it is still showing up as a key issue. I mean, the um, Europe put out um, guidelines on governance for banks beginning of, beginning of July, end of June, something like that. And one of the key features in there was all about behavior, culture, and conduct. Still, it is a regulatory issue and a regulatory priority because firms are still not being seen to get it right, in inverted commas. 
And one of the questions we ask on this, which is a sort of bellwether question, is how many of you have discarded a potentially profitable business opportunity due to cultural conduct risk concerns in the last year? And steady state, it's been about a third ever since we started asking the question. Now, that's quite interesting on several levels, but it also has some big regional variations. If you look at Europe, half of people have discarded. You look at the US, a quarter. So a third is very much the average in the middle. And it's an interesting point that that really hasn't shifted. You know, all other things being equal, a bigger, more perhaps embedded focus on culture and conduct risk, perhaps that number should be inching up. It'll be one to watch, I suspect, um, going forward. One of the other areas that I think is also a real bellwether for compliance, and it very much hooks into Mike's point around budgets and needing to do more with less, is the distinctly thorny question around outsourcing. And one of our questions is, do you outsource some or all of your compliance functionality? And if you do outsource, um, why? What are the drivers for that? So around a third of firms say they outsource some or all of their compliance functionality. All well and good. But some of those drivers for outsourcing, I would suggest really ought to only ever be short term because longer term, this could cause you a lot of issues. So the drivers for the outsourcing, there's a right spectrum here, a full spectrum here. Compliance activities associated with business function outsourcing, fair enough. Cost, interesting one. Lack of in-house language skills. You might want to think about putting some language skills in-house if you have sufficiently significant activities, because your compliance functionality, fabulous as I'm sure it is, If you've got business activities happening in a different language and you have no line of sight to that language, I think that potentially has a whole raft of other concerns because one of the golden rules for outsourcing is whilst you might outsource the activity, you cannot outsource the management or the oversight of that activity. How are you going to have oversight if you don't have those languages? The next one, which I think is even more of a problem, is the lack of in-house compliance skills. If you're outsourcing because you don't have the compliance skills in-house, please can I suggest you think about that very long and hard. You will not last into the medium term without in-house compliance skills commensurate to the business activities you are doing. And then the last one is the need for additional assurance on compliance processes, which, fair enough, because there can be some very nuanced and specific skills needed there. Now, that's a real it's a very high level skate through some of the real need for greater compliance functionality. And that need for greater compliance functionality comes with needing skills for the compliance function. And Mike covered those very clearly. I mean, you do need that subject matter expertise. And coming back to the outsourcing point, you need that subject matter expertise in-house. It's no good having fabulous people you outsource things to as super expert on all sorts of things, you need those skills in-house. And yes, you may have to breathe deeply and pay for them, but that's a very good thing ensuring the future of your firm. So Mike, bouncing back to you, some of the challenges associated with all of this, I mean, you've certainly covered um, the budget's point, but challenges in the wider, bigger sense of that? 
Yeah. So if we if we if we do as you suggested, and we move away from the sort of cost and skills challenges that compliance officers face, um, the the survey this year did highlight a few others. Um, so we'll just skim through those. So there is a risk that if things go wrong, compliance officers can be found to be personally liable by regulators, especially in in jurisdictions where uh, senior managers or personal accountability regimes exist. Um, the ex- the expectation on personal liability uh, in this year's survey showed that nearly half, 45%, expect the liability of compliance officers to continue to grow in 2022. Uh, and um, um, so this just this just demonstrates that that's that's still at the forefront or near the forefront of compliance officers' minds is the fact that they can be held responsible for something that goes wrong within their firms and the need to to go linking, linking it back to have the skills, the resources um, and the processes and policies, etc. in place to be able to demonstrate that they're doing the, doing the right thing. Um, in, in 2022, more than half of respondents still think that the regulatory focus on culture conduct risk will increase the personal liability of senior managers. However, this has been falling since the, the question was introduced in 2020. Um, um, but nevertheless, 56% over half of respondents still think that the regulatory focus on culture and conduct risk will increase the personal liability of senior managers. It, to, the survey also went into, well, well, given that risk, given that challenge to, uh, to compliance officers, what are our firms doing about it? And the top three practical changes that firms um, identified were by um, uh, were enhancing regulatory training programs, by uh, deploying of, of new technology, and by increasing the use of, of, of attestations. So wrapping up personal liability were um, one challenge. If we move on, uh, liaison with regulators was also seen as a, a, as a challenge. Uh, a little bit of a surprise this, but in 2022, half of respondents said that they expect the time spent liaising and communicating with regulators to increase over the next 12 months. That's, thir- that's 38%, so slightly more, 12% said significantly more. Um, you know, for many compliance officers, having an open communication channel to the regulator is a key tool to have in their compliance toolkit. Uh, respondents suggested that the reason why it is a key tool is for a number of reasons, for uh, because of more onerous regulatory and reporting requirements, uh, because of increased information requests from regulators, and then the, the need to understand changing regulatory expectations. So all of which suggests that 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 the uh, compliance officers and firms need to get in touch with the regulator, and yet they're and yet perhaps they're finding that that, that little bit more difficult. Uh, let, let's be honest. I mean, in the UK, there was only a, a, a percentage of the small of the larger firms rather that have dedicated supervisors. Uh, there is a far greater percentage of firms that are channeled through a a call te- a call center type arrangement where questions are are, are um, uh, answered uh, uh, directly rather than part of a more formal relationship. So, um, so liaising with regulators was seen uh, as a as a uh, another challenge um, um, that, that the survey highlighted. So I suppose the question now is given that we've seen some um, 
areas where compliance adds value to firms and increasingly more areas that uh, compliance adds value to firms. And we've seen the, 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 uh, con- the contrast to that of the challenges that compliance officers have faced. I suppose the question is, well, where is the future for compliance and what does the future for compliance hold? Yeah, I think, yeah, that is the $64 million question, isn't it? The, the one bit, before I get onto that, the one bit I would weave into the personal liability point is that the New York City bar, obviously lawyers, but an awful lot of lawyers, it is often the, the profession of choice before you go into the compliance function in the U.S., are sufficiently worried about the concept and the practical reality of personal liabilities for compliance officers that they've actually written a whole paper on it, um, which we quote from in the report. And their concern is on several levels. One, that compliance officers can and indeed have been held responsible for compliance failures in their firm, even when it's not been their fault, which is a difficult place to be, to put it mildly, And their sort of consequent thinking on that is you are going to deter people coming into the profession and possibly equally critically, those experienced, skilled compliance officers, gosh, I've mentioned, you know, you need in-house skills more than once, will leave early. Why would you stay if that is the state of play with regard to your liability? We will see how that develops in the US, but I think it is a real measure of the level of concern that the New York City Bar has been so visibly public about making clear its concerns and saying this can't go on. And its logic also is that it is absolutely in the regulators and the supervisors' interests that you have strong in-house compliance officers who are highly skilled because that makes regulation and supervision easier and the outcomes around good customer outcomes, around looking after vulnerable customers, stopping market manipulation, whatever it is, that's made simpler and easier and, you know, a preventative measure rather than anything else. So definitely one to watch and definitely one to watch if you are in the US. So assuming you are still in the profession or associated with the profession and personal liability hasn't completely freaked you out, there are several very interesting bits with the future of the compliance function, which And this harks back to what Mike has talked about in terms of skills and to a certain extent to the resources point as well. The ideal future, we asked the ideal future of the compliance function, there were some very big concepts in there. The biggest of the big was data and technology driven. And I think that is a very logical flow through from the digital transformation we saw particularly enhanced during the pandemic. You have got compliance officers having to deal with hybrid working environments, flexible working environments, very fast-paced regulatory change. You've got the regulatory perimeter shifting, you know, cryptos, where are they, in, out, how do we regulate them, what do we know, Um, the line of sight that's needed. You then also have all of the reporting associated with that. So that's not just trade and transaction reporting, which should be um, a core competency for all firms. But as we know, transaction reporting in particular has been a bit of an Achilles heel and numerous firms have fallen over on that. But, you know, looking to very much the future, data and technology driven, the regulators are, and I've mentioned this on podcast before, 
are beginning to bounce around the idea called embedded supervision, where the regulators have, by agreement, direct access into a firm's systems. And, you know, the idea is that that would vastly reduce the administrative costs about external reporting to the regulator, so on and so forth. Well, yes. However, if the regulator has access to your systems, you're going to need to know what they're looking at. You want to know what they're looking at. But also, you need to be very sure what's in your systems is going to give a glowing picture of your compliant activities and not give open door to the regulators finding all sorts of things that either you didn't know were there or you really didn't want the regulator to know were there. So a data and technology driven future of the compliance function is an essential. Let's be completely clear. That's the direction of travel. It will require investment in not only the IT infrastructure, but also in the people who operate it. But that's not just a driver from the firms themselves it is also likely to be, as I've said, a driver from the regulators. You can very much see why the concept of embedded supervision, particularly if a regulator, for instance, is looking at any kind of digital ledger technology, so they they have access into the blockchain or whatever. They are, that's a very attractive proposition if you are a supervisor or a regulator. So you as a firm and you as the compliance officer in a firm need to factor that into the direction of travel with this data and technology-driven future. Digital transformation, on one level, has happened, but it is going to continue to happen. Other areas where ideal futures were talked about, fully integrated throughout the business. Now, that's not necessarily just technology. That is also very much compliance function being woven into the fabric of how the business functions. Now, for a number of firms, I think that is still a way away, to be frank. Other firms, I'm pretty sure it's there because everybody in the business understands the value add compliance bring. They are part of the way a firm does business. But it's not an area you could ever take for granted because all firms are amorphous and they change and they flex and people come and people go fully integrated throughout the business will require work and continued work, but it is definitely something to aim for and definitely part of the future of the compliance function. Uh, Starting slightly to repeat ourselves here, I mean, ideal future of the compliance function, greater emphasis on skills and experience. The value a highly skilled compliance officer can bring to a firm is enormous. And that's not just in the sense of, oh, great, we're compliant. Well, my congratulations. But there are ways and there are means of how you set up your risk and controls infrastructure that make it a much more smoothly flowing business. There are ways and the means to communicate with the regulators, which Mike has talked about. You build a strong working relationship with your regulator you are much more likely to avoid trouble than if you have a cold adversarial um, relationship with them. Now, I'm fully aware the relationships with regulators are very geography and jurisdiction specific. I mean, here in the UK, you can ring the regulator up and have a chat and all of the rest of it. There are other jurisdictions, like Germany is one instance, where you wouldn't do that for love nor money. Why would you? That's not just not how it works. So be aware of how 
that works. And do you know what? We're back to a highly skilled in-house compliance officer will have that experience, will have that knowledge and understanding of the how in terms of all of the regulation. And then the another one in terms of future the compliance function is for the compliance function to be perceived, and this I think fits back into fully integrated throughout the business, as a strategic business partner. You have strong in-house compliance. It's incredibly powerful as a strategic business partner because you can steer around the pitfalls. You can make things work first time. The old rule of thumb, any mistake costs 10 times the amount you put in place to fix. Wouldn't it be nice if you avoided the 10 times? Strategic business partner is your compliance function there. So there is lots of very aspirational on one level elements for the future of the compliance function or ideal future of the compliance function. But, you know, I also think they are practical reality. They are workable towards. And I would suggest if you are putting your compliance plans together, see whether you've got all of those in there, because these are all worth aiming at from the compliance perspective. I'll I'll switch gears slightly now, because one of the other futures back to the technology is whether or not things like regtech, perhaps even fintech, are actually lightening the load for compliance. And that is a wee bit of a mixed picture. Um, Yes, in theory, technology should be lightening the load, but it has to be the right technology deployed in the right way with the right skill sets operating it. So, of course, digital transformation is the direction of travel, but you have to be very clear-eyed about the technological solutions you deploy to help with compliance. You will be deploying something, I'm sure you will, whether that's, you know, to capture regulatory change, whether that's, you know, your help with your, you know, your customer requirements, whatever it is. But part of the compliance approach needs to be a very clear approach to how you choose and deploy a regtech technology. And then, of course, how you, how you exit it once it's reached the end of its useful life. So just be aware that it's not a given that technology lightens the load. It should and it can, but it does need a lot of really quite detailed and granular project management to get the right results or the maximum results out of there. Um, And then sort of last but definitely not least is the need to manage from the compliance perspective increasingly competing priorities. You've got the need to do really substantially more with less. And reminding you again, this survey closed before Russia invaded Ukraine, before we had a cost of living crisis or such a bad cost of living crisis. All of those competing priorities need to be managed. And to be frank, compliance officers are no strangers to managing competing priorities. But I think we've got to the stage with this now that it needs to be part of any strategic approach because it's feeling as though there's going to be an awful lot of push me, pull you on all of this. And compliance absolutely needs to be having its own voice and having its ability to demonstrate its value add at all times. And 
good compliance officers are worth hanging on to with both hands. I realise I'm biased on that subject, haven't been compliance officers for a long time, but they are definitely, definitely worth hanging on to. Mike, I've, I've rabbited on really quite a lot there. Anything you want to add on future compliance function? Well, yes. I mean, the future is the future is scary. The future, but the future is compliant. Um, it, it, it strikes me as a rather light, light-hearted um, um, thought that are we ever going to get to a situation of like the minority report type of compliance, whereby with all these embedded systems in firms technology that we will have that, that regulators will have identified investigated and then find firms within the same day for for breaches that they've that that, that, that come up um it's uh, it's 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 a rather it's a rather scary thought that that actually compliance could be done completely uh, um, automated and that that unfortunately makes us all out of a job but i'm pleased to say that i think we're some way off that if if if, if i'm if i'm um if, if I'm honest, and uh, the likes of Tom Cruise coming through your door isn't exactly uh, going to happen tomorrow, So, uh, but scary nonetheless. I don't think I object to Tom Cruise coming through the door tomorrow, if that's all right with everyone, <laughs> but there we go. <laughs> no, I, I think the sort of compliance we're talking about, I mean, there is an awful lot that can and probably will end up being automated, but the strategic thinking on compliance, the, the ability to lobby, the ability to communicate with regulators, the ability to be that strategic business partner, I think we're a very long way from that being a machine rather than a highly skilled in-house compliance person. So, gosh, we, we've rattled through things here. Um, Mike, takeaways from compliance officers? Yeah, so, so okay, so, I mean... The, the cost of compliance report, uh, please read it. V- very good read. Obviously, I'm biased, but it is a very good read. Um, but And it has identified a range of, of these conflicts, characteristics of a compliance officer's life, uh, both the need to continue to increase the value to the firm and the challenges they face in achieving that value. But perhaps, you know, the central issue for compliance officers is this need to have an appropriately resourced compliance department um, to support them and the business in general. And, you know, this requires staff of, an, of, of appropriate experience, skill set, competency, uh, and motivation, to be frank, um, because they are undertaking tasks that at times can be very frustrating and time-consuming, and the responsibilities can be quite difficult to articulate to the first line and to to senior management. But I suppose the onus is on the compliance officer to know what skills they require, um, to know what skills they have at their disposal. So, So I suppose my takeaway here is for compliance officers to undertake some form of skills audit and to have an agreed plan as to how to fulfill the requirements of that audit. I mean, from a staffing perspective, this may entail some recruitment. So compliance officers need to know what subjects to recruit at what cost. Uh, it may entail some internal personal development. You know, this is, as a, I guess, this is where uh, professional compliance qualifications may play a part. So to validate the skills that a compliance professional um, has. Um, it will in- include some internal training on key business functions and key uh, business strategies 
Um, and this may be this may be uh, uh, achieved by some form of a secondment opportunity. Well, both looking intern the fir- internally in the firm, and let's not forget externally to to uh, accountancy firms or law firms or what whatever type of secondment would um, Im- improve the knowledge and experience of the compliance officer. Um, undoubtedly, and, and Susanna's covered this in in in, in buckets, so uh, or in spades, even shall we say? <laughs> um, uh, just um, uh, and this is the need. This is that that the resource strategy may even include some elements of automation to cover the gaps that you know you can't uh, um, resource for through a staffing recruitment um, um, and process, for example. So, uh, but I guess my message uh, for compliance officers is to be prepared. And to have a plan of for how to resource their compliance strategy going forward. Thank you. Yes, and I I would actually build on that a a, a bit in terms of my takeaway. One of the anecdotal elements of the report is that compliance functions, compliance officers, are starting to struggle to be heard at the highest levels of the firms. So an element, I think, of that planning thinking. Um, and approach is compliance probably needs to think about how you reinvigorate the buy-in from the board and one uh, just one suggestion I mean perhaps a board-sponsored directive that the compliance function should review the post-pandemic position look at the impact of the geopolitical tensions refresh skills very much to Mike's point and the continuing investment in digital transformation and automation now, that hopefully would help get the voice back at the highest levels. It should also help. I mean, I was, I was talking about competing priorities. How do you untangle those? How do you say, well, actually, this priority is higher than that one. Therefore, that's what we're going to do. That sort of board sponsored review should help with that untangling process. And then you've got a ready made this is our strategic compliance plan, which you can have a good discussion with at the board level. You've got to keep that voice at the top table. You really do. Um, and keep reminding the board quite how important you are. Not even, I mean, not just important, essential, essential compliance functionality. With that, Mike, as ever, thank you very much indeed. And thank you for listening uh, to this particular episode of Compliance Clarified. Hope, as ever, it was interesting and useful. I'll include a link to the cost of compliance report in the show notes. I'll also include a link to the TV of me chatting about cost of compliance. Um, on another survey, we've opened the survey for our annual fintech, regtech and role of compliance report. So if you would like to take part in that, the link will also be in the episode notes. There'll be the usual link also for further information on Thomson Reuters regulatory intelligence. As ever, very much appreciated if you could take the time to review the podcast and do let us know for any suggestions for future topics. Thanks for listening. Compliance Clarified. A podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence.